So we are continuing our Have Church, Will Travel series. Um, the church has, has always been a traveling church. It was founded as a movement in community, and it continues to be at its strongest when we remember that. And it's not a destination. The only time that this building is church is when we're in it. During the week, it's a building. In fact, this week, it was VBS. Of course, when we were here, it was church at VBS. So the church is us. We are the church. And so we want to emphasize that. And that's why you see, I don't even know how many pictures now that we have of, of folks all over the world, but there's a lot. Um, because we want to emphasize that. We, we have those signs to take a picture wherever you go, local, regional. We got some Puerto Rican pictures as well um, to, to emphasize that we are the church. The church is where we go and that we are to have an impact in this world. Um, Paul knew that. Paul, uh, we're looking at part of the sermon series is about looking at the letters that Paul wrote and and the places that he traveled. If it wasn't for Paul being a traveling man, we still need to work that out. That's, you know, instead, <laughs> instead, Lord, I was born a rambling man. Lord, I was born a traveling man. <laughs> we'll turn it into a Paul song. Uh, but he traveled everywhere that uh, everywhere that he went. He planted churches. He was on the move. And without that, I, you know, I don't know where we would be. We need those of us who are called to that to engage and to go where we're sent. So today we're going to, well, last week we looked at Galatia, the churches at Galatia. Today we're in Ephesus. So we're looking at the churches in Ephesus, and as is going to be the norm with this series, we're going to look at a little bit of history and background, follow that up with kind of what was going on in that area as best as we can tell from what's in the letters, and hopefully always have something to bring to today. Because these are letters that were written a long time ago, but and they were written to a specific group and to us, because they were written to us as well. So uh, last week we weren't real sure the exact place Paul was writing to, and not surprisingly we have some disputes about this letter as well. Something that you'll notice about theologians is that we don't tend to agree on a whole lot. So, <laughs> so we're, there's always this look for, well, what does that mean? And, and, and things are parsed apart. We're notorious for that. Uh, so the first issue with this letter is authorship. Did the Apostle Paul himself really write this? Or was it someone, or did he dictate it to someone else? Or was it someone who just wrote in the line of thinking, the Pauline thought process? Uh, it bo both of my seminary professors, a gentleman named um, Dr. Carl Holloway and Dr. Luke Timothy Johnson, both agreed that regardless of the answer to that question, this letter is Pauline thinking. This aligns with who Paul was, re regardless of whether he actually was the one who wrote it down, or whether he he was he uh, was it dictated it to somebody, or whether it was some uh, you know one of one of his one of Paul's disciples. In fact, LTJ Luke Timothy Johnson put it this way: He said, "If this is not written by Paul or under his direct supervision, supervision, Ephesians is the work of Paul's best disciple, one whose religious perceptions and theological vision are equal to Paul's own." In other words. He's saying, Paul wrote this letter, and, and, and we can fight about that <laughs> all that we want, uh, but there's a lot of support for that. Um, I think that Paul did write this letter. I, I, I understand that there are some, some nuances in the letter, some phrasings and that kind of thing that are not consistent with the others, but the Pauline thinking is in place. This is a little bit later letter, so he would have, you know, we think his eyes were not great. Um, and so he would have dictated this to someone, which would have allowed some of that thinking to come in. The second thing is 
who did he write this to? Similar to what we looked at last week, there are some questions about that. And in order to explain that, I need to talk just briefly for a minute about kind of how the how does the, how do we get the Bible? How does this stuff kind of come together? Why why do we call it the letter to the Ephesians and and that kind of thing? So what would happen is that Paul would write a letter and he would send it to the area or the church or whoever it was that was supposed to get it. So he would write the letter, send it there, and the church would get the letter and they would make copies of that letter. So th- and, and they didn't have a computer, so it's not like they could type in and then email it to one another. And they didn't have copy machines. They literally hand wrote and hand copied these letters so that they could distribute them to all of the churches. So as you can imagine, when you hand copy stuff, what's going to happen? There's going to be an error here. There's going to be differences. And so in these early manuscripts, they don't verbatim each other. They don't all say exactly the same thing. So what we have are different letters in the, that, that we bring together all of these manuscripts and we do our best to say, okay, what, what is consistent? What is the intent? What was written? And that's part of why you have some differences in translations. It's part of why uh, the Bibles don't, the Bible can have some, some differences, that and language. So there's a, some human error in play. In fact, this, this particular letter, the reason we're not sure that it's written to, to Ephesus is that the earliest of the manuscripts don't mention Ephesus. What they say is, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God to God's holy people faithful in Christ. So it doesn't have the location identified in some of the earliest manuscripts. It's added in, in some that were a little bit later. You know, so, so I don't know the reasoning behind that, but, but I can say that, that this, this letter is for the church. This is a letter that's written for the church. It's written in the late first century, uh, we think. Um, there's a lack of focus on, last week we talked a lot about what does it mean, the Jewish Christian question, the Judaizers who are trying to bring the law into the discussion about what it means to be a Christian. Do you need to be circumcised, uncircumcision? All of those questions seem to be resolved because they're not addressed in this letter. Um, it's a letter that's written specifically to non-Jewish people. It's written to the Gentiles. Uh, chapter 2, verse 11. So then, remember that at one time, you Gentiles by birth called the uncircumcision by those who are called the circumcision, a physical circumcision made in the flesh by human hands. So remember that you were at that time without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope, and without God in the world. <laughs> Good to be a Gentile. No, no, it's not. But he goes on, thank, thankfully. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Nothing but the blood, right? Brought, brought near by the blood of Christ. For he is our peace. In his flesh, he's made both groups into one and has broken down the dividing wall. That is the hostility between us. He's abolished the law with its commandments and ordinances that he might create in himself one new humanity in place of the two, thus making peace, and so he might reconcile both groups to God in one body through the cross, thus putting to death that hostility through it. And then at the end of this passage that runs to chapter uh, verse 22, he says, In him the whole structure is joined together and grows into a holy temple in the Lord, 
in whom you also are built together spiritually into a dwelling place for God. You know where the temple of God is now, right? Yeah, get a mirror. (laughs) The temple of God is us. That's where God dwells. And this is a call for us to remember that we are to be one. He emphasizes this really big in in a minute. That we are to be united, that we're to be reconciled, impossibly so through the cross. What he's what he's ad- advocating, and Rick mentioned earlier that you know we were talking just briefly about and, and get ready. What what are we going to call it? It's uh, you have heard it. You have heard it said. It's going to be the second piece of our core curriculum that's coming up. So get ready. <laughs> but we we were talking we were talking about how. Being a Christian is not easy. It's not. We're, the, God is asking some stuff of us. Unity, reconcile. You mean I have to like people I don't like? Well, you may not have to like them, but you better love them. You know? And because this letter is likely not written to one specific church, we have an overview from Paul of what the expectation of the big C, the universal church, is supposed to look like. The term for church that Paul uses is ecclesia. In Ephesians, he uses it nine times. In Romans and Galatians, he uses it only eight. In Ephesians, he uses it, every time he uses it, he's talking about the bigger church. In Galatians and the others, he's talking about the local church. This letter is written to us. Hear this. You want to know where, what, what we're supposed to be, how we're supposed to act? This is a letter to grab hold of and spend some time with because you're going to find out what it means to be a Christian today. It's written to the church. Who's the church? We are. We're the church. This is a letter written to us, and we need to spend time, spend time with this letter. It has great meaning for us. Ephesians 1 through 3 present us with the idea that the church is supposed to be a place of reconciliation and unity. He is our peace who has made us both one and has broken down the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the, the flesh, in, abolishing in his flesh through the cross the law of commandments and ordinances. These are powerful words. If you remember who Paul is, this is these are impossible words. He's a Pharisee of the Pharisees who grew up, was trained in a clarity of the division between the Jews and the Gentiles, chosen, unchosen, good, bad this is who paul is and and he's telling us that we're supposed to be united jews gentiles this bridge this divide this hostility is to be wiped out and done away with it's impossible for a jewish scholar he should not have written this letter he could not have written this letter only he did and as he writes to them then he writes to us today do not give up hope Do not give up hope. There is always hope. Paul would say, if one like me can be altered by Jesus, if a Pharisee of the Pharisees can be altered by Jesus and by the Holy Spirit, so might others. Don't give up. I know there's a lot of stuff going on. Don't give up on hope. Heroes have hope. (laughs) Don't give up on hope. Although I am the very least of this chapter 3, verse 8, although I am the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to me to bring to the Gentiles the news of the boundless riches of Christ and to make everyone see what what is the plan 
of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things so that through the church the wisdom of God and its rich variety might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. Don't give up. The, the role of the church is to be revelatory, to reveal the wisdom of God to the rulers and to the authorities in the heavenly places. And don't miss those two words, rich variety. There is rich variety. We never have all agreed. If there's anything else that comes out of these letters, we have never agreed in the church. We've, all, we've been fighting since we were born. We've been struggling with each other. We have never agreed. We never will, but the church is beautifully made with this variety of people. And that's not a weakness, but a strength. We can reach further in this way. There are people whose, who my story and my testimony can reach that your testimony might not. But guess what? There are people that your testimony can reach that my testimony cannot. And we need each other. We need variety if we're going to have the impact in this place that God is asking us to have. He's calling us to action and not to sit back and not to go, okay, I'm going to go once a week and that's my, that's my faith. That is not being Christian. That is not being a follower of Jesus Christ. It's not what we're called to. We're called to more than that. Given more than that. Blessed with more than that. You know, if Paul had Twitter, he might have used. <laughs> Be you for him. <laughs> I know, Paul, Paul with Twitter, yeah. yeah. He'd look at the keyboard and go, what? <laughs> Be who you are. Absolutely. Be who you are. Not for yourself and not for your own glory, but for him. Be who you are for God. Be who you are. Be gifted in the way that you're gifted and sing and 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 act and do all of the things and lead VBS and grow to be you and huh. <laughs> be who you are. you are. You are uniquely created in a way that he can use to impact people in this world, people in this church, people outside of this church, and he wants to do it. He wants so much to use all of us, not part of us, all of us, if we'll just be willing to, to go for it. go for it this was in accordance with the, this is verse 11 this was in accordance with the eternal purpose that he has carried out in Christ Jesus in whom we have access to God in boldness and confidence through faith in him how cool is it that we have access to God you ever just step back and go creator of everything universe galaxy stars plants trees life loves me I get to walk up to the one with all power I get to go to the throne room go before him and say help and say thank you and say I love you and say where would you have me to be but, but I have access I get to go to that place I get to be in that place God has a plan, and it's a plan that's good, and the church is a part of that plan. Ephesians chapters 4 through 6, how do you, you know, you want to know how do you do this? How do you live this Christian life? Spend some time in 4 through 6. It'll help you with that. It's kind of a how-to on, on how to live this reconciled life. 
A reconciled life is a life that honors God and is reconciled to him. It's a life of repentance and moving into blessing. Do you know that almost every, I think it's every, but I don't want to say every, because maybe there's someone out there that's not. Every revival that has happened and happened powerfully began with confession. Began with repentance, a turning away from what was, because God had something new up here. But you got it. We gotta turn away before we can move forward. But God has a plan, and a part of that plan is unity. Y'all understand, agreement and unity don't have to be the same thing, right? They are not mutually exclusive tenets, that we don't have to agree to be united because that's what we're called to. Chapter 4, verse 1. Therefore, I therefore the prisoner in the Lord beg you, beg you to lead a life worthy of the calling to which you've been called with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, making every effort to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. And now I'm going to read a sentence, and I want you to count with me the number of times one is in this sentence. There is one body, one Spirit, just as you were called to the one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above all, through all, and, and in all. I believe Paul's trying to make a point. Just, you know, saying. I don't think I've ever used one seven times in a sentence. But Paul's trying to make a point. We won't always agree, but we can still be united in purpose and direction and in sharing the gospel and in the important things. John Wesley said, though we cannot think alike, may we not love alike. May we... May we not be of one heart, though we are not of one opinion. And the answer to that is, yes, we can be. Yes, we can be. Herein, all the children of God may unite, notwithstanding these smaller differences. The reconciled life starts with repentance, that turning away. Repent just means, I mean, it's a Christian-y word, right? But it really just means I'm going to turn away from the things that I've been doing into a new place. So it's just a turning from and, and I'm going to turn from those things, and I'm going to pursue the things of God. And I'm going to seek unity, and I'm going to seek how to live this reconciled life, and I'm going to seek how I can impact the others. Because then we're given a new life. Paul talks a lot about a new life. And we, do it th- and, and we let go of the old life. Let go of our pagan ways is how the, it's written in, in Ephesians. Let go of your pagan ways, Gentiles. Seek to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Those things are different. Paul speaks to what a Christian household should look like as well. And this, uh, I'm going to spend more time with this later, uh, next month, because there's way more in here than what I can touch on today. But here we go. Uh, my translation that I, I use for this is, be subject to one another out of reverence for Christ. The, the way that, that folks react to it is it says, submit yourselves, therefore, one, one to another. And, um, and, and what happens because of that word submit yourselves one to another, it, it gets kind of taken out of context. Actually, folks usually, especially men, tend to not remember that particular verse. They just start with wives. 
Wives, be subject to your husbands as you are to the Lord, for the husband is the head of the wife, just as Christ is the head of the church. And then later it talks about husbands. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Each of you, however, should love his wife as himself, and a wife should respect her husband. Now, we'll look at that later. We're going to do some family dynamic stuff in a month or so, and, and we'll spend some time with this. But if anyone ever comes up to try to tell you wives submit to your husbands, just say, okay, time out. What's the first verse say? Submit yourselves to one another, right? Be subject to one another. How many folks are intermarried? Are you subject to one another? <laughs> Maybe I shouldn't say that out loud, right? <laughs> yes, yes. But when we pull that one verse out, the whole thing changes because then it becomes about domination and domineering and, 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 and Lord. And in Colossians, that first verse is not there. But thankfully, the, the Bible includes more than just one letter. It includes multiple. And so when we're looking and studying something, we don't just go here or here. We go here and here in order to see what God really has to say and get the picture. But this wives submit yourselves to your husband, that is not where this starts. And, and if somebody tries to use that against you, Ignore them. Ignore them. Let me say this, just real briefly. Uh, I've spent a lot, of, a lot of time working with domestic violence as well. People in the church don't, you know, um, have, a, have a real tendency to, to think, well, that kind of thing doesn't happen in the church. This passage is actually why it does happen in the church, and there are predatory souls out there who will use this in order to dominate someone and to convince them using Scripture that you should stay in this relationship and be dominated by me. That happens. That happens. We need to be aware of that in the church, that not all of us are here with, with um, pure intent and purpose. You know, I've done a lot of marriage counseling. Kit and I have done a lot of marriage classes. And there's... Uh, when you add that first verse in, you begin to have that conversation about what does it mean to be subject to one another? What does it mean to submit to one another? And, and you can then begin to examine what a healthy marriage w really does look like because those things exist in healthy marriages. It's not one person dominating over the other. It's us in a partnership together, and, and that's a critical part of this. One of the things in marriages that I do is that in, in there, this is the, I'm consi consistently put this in, is that rare is the marriage that is not happy where the husband and wife are trying to outserve one another. If my goal is to see Kit flourish and, and to become all that God would have her to be, and her goal is to see me flourish and become all that God would have me to be, this submit thing, it goes off to the side because we're working hard together to become who God would have us to be. And that's, that's healthy. That's what a healthy marriage can look like. But this is a big topic, and I've, uh, I, can, I, can, I can spend a lot of time on it. We'll do that later. He goes on and talks about uh, children in the household. I mean, he's given a lot of really good, this is what a Christian home looks like. This is what it looks like. And then he finishes up. And this is kind of appropriate, because if you're going to talk about living a Christian life, you better start talking about attack from the enemy and, and spiritual warfare, because he finishes with the armor of God. 
and he tells us we need to put on the armor of God because if you're going to seek to live this way if you're going to seek to live as a Christian in the world then there are going to be forces out there some of them spiritual he's talking spiritual here some of them friends and others that are going to push back against what you're trying to do so he tells us in 613 put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes you can stand your ground and after you've done everything you will stand stand first with the belt of truth buckled around your waist and the breastplate of righteousness the breastplate protects our heart it protects our heart so that, so that so that we're able to feel and sense because God's heroes have heart and we are all God's heroes and and so we put on the breastplate of righteousness our feet are fitted with the readiness of the gospel of peace we should be we should be carriers of peace the God this gospel of peace that that Jesus gives to us we're to take that into the world we're to share that with other people take up the shield of faith because folks are going to you know the enemy's going to shoot some fiery darts at you you need a shield of faith continue to believe have hope and, and, and walk forward take the helmet of salvation which protects our mind and, and can I hope remind us that this place is temporary and that place is not and we are going to a, a, a better place at some point that helmet of salvation remember I am saved and therefore I can I can I, know I can let go of some of the stuff that, that fear stuff I can let go of that because I know there's a place prepared for me that that I get to go to no matter what happens here so I can proclaim the word I can proclaim the gospel because it doesn't matter that people won't like that because then I, I I've got you know I'm a, I've got a better picture and a vision up here in front of me that I know that God has for me helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit which is the word of God that's the best one I think it's a twofold instrument it's for defense and for offense we need to be in the word we need to be in the word when we start our, our grow groups in the fall please engage and be a part of that you know it's important that we grow together and that we support one another because if we truly live this thing out there's going to be a lot of people and a lot of forces that are not going to like that. So we need to move forward in, into where God would have us. God has a plan for us. It's a plan to prosper us. May we stand firm. May we pray for one another. May we encourage one another, lift each other up, challenge one another. When, when we have that kind of relationship, well, we can do that. I love the Bible. I love what it gives to us. Let's grow together. Let's become who God would have us to be.